super excited about our next guest that's up. Mm-hmm. Um, she keeps us all glued together yeah. in truth. Invisible Not hand. her entire role, <laughs> but she does keep all of us. If you want to know what's going on, this is the lady you call. That's right. Sharon, welcome to Stick a Fork in It. Thank you. What a nice introduction. I appreciate that, it's Shannon. So, is it true. not true, guys? I mean, come it's on. absolutely true. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it's Thomas is <laughs> is your role, and which he'll get right, to. Right, I tend but. to think of your job more as keeping me from the organization, <laughs> uh, impacting the organization, right? <laughs> and then Damage keeping the control. rest of us on point. But let's start with who you are, because mm-hmm. we want to know who all of those on our team, who they really are away from here. Who are you, Miss Sharon? Well, first off, I'm a mom of two boys who I'm mm-hmm. super proud of. Um a wife, a sister, a daughter, um, an aunt to everything mm-hmm. in my family. I have lots of family, born and raised in Connecticut, youngest of four. So, um, What's your role in the family? When you think about, right, you just listed all these yep. different relationships mm-hmm. with that. What, what is your role in, in the family unit? I kind of feel like I'm the camp counselor. I'm always like, let's get together. Let's play <laughs> so a game. Here. Let's sing a song. That's let's great. Like that's kind of always my role is mm-hmm. just kind of keeping everything moving and together um, and kind of keeping everything connected. And how did you learn that? Is that, uh, were those things that were just part of your personality? You know, is it your birth order? Is it... You know, how did you end up being that person? And, yeah. and did you see yourself as that person when you were kind of growing up? Um, probably not as I was growing up. I was, you know, I, I was a little spoiled, admittedly. Um, but I just always like to have fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, the oldest sister, you know, 10 years different from me. So, like, all relationships were a little bit different because of the age gap. But... And everybody was a little bit different. The one closest to me is my brother. But um, I don't know. I just always somehow needed to stay connected with them. Mm-hmm. Even though with my older sister being 10 years apart, how do I stay connected with her? I always felt like, you know, I always felt like I had to kind of catch up. Because you wouldn't necessarily have common interests with No that. common interest mm-hmm. with right. any of them, right? So, yeah. so she's graduating high school and you're eight years old. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> right. But yep. then you'd find a way. I'd find yeah. a way and that would always be my way. Let's play right. a game. Let's mm. go do a dance. Let's go outside. Yeah. Let's all get together. Let's bake cookies, like whatever <laughs> it was to keep them in my world. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you gather your family around you. Very important. Which is similar to your role here. Very and your important. work family, <laughs> too. Yeah. I've always kind of been in a support role. You know, thinking back, um, coming into this this podcast with y'all, thinking about historically what I've done professionally. And it's always been a support role, whether it was in a customer service position or an executive assistant position or just supporting the people around me. And I just I think that that kind of bleeds into my family and my work. It's just who I am. Is there a you know uh, is there a uh, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but who you are here is who you are at home. A hundred percent. And vice versa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's always nice when you can be true to the mm-hmm. things that matter to you. I am doing exactly what I want to do oh. and doing exactly what I love to do. Yeah. I love to help people and to be around people yeah. and to support people. Let's talk a little bit about your role here uh, at the food bank. I would start with, uh, this is the only time I've done this in my entire career. Hmm. The only time. Hmm. Done it once, exactly. And it's with you. So we were looking, my colleagues, uh, our board, 
And any human being that came in touch with me said, you need <laughs> some sort of executive support for the love of God. Will you please? Hello, squirrel. Please. I was managing my calendar and everybody's world was in a state of flux. Right? And so we were looking for a person and Sharon came in. And I hired you on the spot. You did. Wow. Right in this. I remember coming into this room exactly <laughs> into this room. And um, I remember you, you know, I come from a from a for-profit world, very mm-hmm. different from where we are today. And I remember you telling me, this is our conference room. This is the only room we have. And I was like, oh, gosh, how would this ever work? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, how do you, like, you know get all of these people just into one room, that calendaring must be difficult. <laughs> and sometimes it is, but we make it work. But yeah, I was hired on the spot. First time ever. Wow. Yeah, so first time for super me. Super thankful. Wow. How long have you been here now? Five years. Yeah, just I hit five so. years. Wow. Yeah, Congrats. So. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So what would you describe your role as? Not your responsibilities, but your role as. What do you see? I think Shannon mentioned this. We would see you as one Incredible den mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, what do and you friend. see? Mm-hmm. And friend. And I yeah. like that. That's exactly who I want to be. I really see every employee in this building as my customer. Uh-huh. Um, I am here to help everybody that comes to me that needs help. And I don't always know the answer, but I'll try to find the mm-hmm. answer. And I, I want to, just as we try to provide dignity to our neighbors. I want to provide dignity to the staff. So if they come in and they have a question or they don't know the answer, maybe they're in the wrong place or they, you know, they, they just don't know. I want to be able to help them through that mm-hmm. and get, you know, just make them feel good about it and know that they can always come to me. Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, when you, when you kind of think about what, you know, you talked about the way you're raised to bringing people together and solving problems, you know, for folks here and, and, and being a, you know, again, a person that all of us can turn to and say, Hey, I need, uh, I need whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Uh, how does that activate you? What does that do for you? How do you come back to that and say, this is what, uh, this is what makes me feel like I belong or that I'm valuable? You know, Thomas, every day you get up and you think maybe it's not a great day or maybe you didn't have a great evening. Or I know coming here and being with the staff at Feeding Tampa Bay is going to turn all of that around for me. And none of it's going to, you know, it just, it's going to make everything feel a lot lighter you know, then maybe whatever is happening personally or whatever neighbor I'm dealing with at the front or on the phone. The people that we have in this organization I, I truly are just amazing people. Mm-hmm. You know, to to be able to, to go into somebody's office the other day and have somebody that's come out of fresh force and has really turned their life around. Mm-hmm. When I wake up and I think, oh God, do I really want to go to work today? I think about that. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, I'm up, I'm, I'm out, yep. I'm out Let's the door go. and I'm going and I'm, I'm going to just keep moving. So five years on, you said you left an incredibly successful and important business, um, a national business here to, to come work for us. And, and you had uh, decided it was time to move on from there uh, and came here. So five years later, how would you consider your world of, of that versus here? Like, how do you think about them? Feeding Tampa Bay has changed my life. I think I've, I've mentioned this before. Um, it has really made me a better person. You just don't even realize the impact uh-huh. on people that you have when you work here. And it's, it's the impact to my coworkers. It's the impact to the neighbors that we support. Um, not to say that what I did previously wasn't significant. Certainly it's important. There's a need for it in the world. 
But this, I feel like this has provided closure for me mm-hmm. at this point in my life. Like almost like, like some, like I just kind of went to work every day and did what I did and, you know, reaped all the benefits of working for an incredible for-profit. But the benefits from feeding Tampa Bay outweigh mm-hmm. any perk that I ever had working for a for-profit. You know, it's an interesting part about who you are and where you are. So we've talked, you and I have obviously talked about your boys have just gone yes. off to school. Yes. Uh, right. Which has been a transition for you as identifying yes. as a mom. And and it sounds like you were also in some transition when you were coming here. Did you know that at the time? I didn't. So in mm-hmm. hindsight, you look back and you go, oh. That's correct. And it, you know, in hindsight, when you when I look back, the truth be told, I, I came here for a paycheck. I, you know, I was laid off from my position that I had been at. Well, I wasn't going to say that. I, 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 I phrased it That's much okay. Nicer. That's okay. You, you did. Speaking truth. But in all transparency, I came here for a paycheck. That was the truth. Um, and when I came here, I thought, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to be here, but I don't know how to do this because it uh, honestly, it wasn't natural for me. A lot of people come here because this is their need or their want. Um, and I, everybody would always say to me, how do you love your job? And I say, I've never worked harder than I have here, but I've never been more satisfied at the mm-hmm. end of every day. And I just kept going home with that mm-hmm. and saying, I don't, and you're right. There, I think that there was a, a point where I was at my other position, going, mm, "I'm not sure, sure I'm so fulfilled." I was, you know, I was 12 years there. I thought, you know, maybe it's time to move on. And I just think that everything happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I landed here, and this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you kind of think about where your career takes you. There's an old saying that the first half of your life is about success. The second half of your life is about significance. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Yeah, and I, I think I, I would observe it's, it's, you know, when we as an organization get it right, a colleague is a perfect fit for us, and we're a perfect fit for the mm-hmm. colleague. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think that's, that's always when I observe we're happiest uh, and best, you know, but, but Shannon and Ev would be two other great examples of that, where we are a great fit for them and they are a great fit for us. And it's a it's a mutually dependent uh, relationship that both both add value that ultimately translates to uh, value to our friends mm-hmm. and neighbors. As you kind of think about this transition you're going through now, right, your world is shifting again. You're more aware of the transition because two boys aren't, you're not going to baseball games right. every <laughs> two <laughs> days, right? Right. As you kind of think about your career from here, as you start to think about what is it that you want and need, uh, how are you thinking about what's important to you and next steps? What's on your mind? Well, I think what's most important to me is our mission and to continue with our mission. I'm super excited about the future and what it holds. I'm really proud to be a part of this organization and the changes that we've made in folks' lives. And I think... For me, I my future is right here, riding alongside you, Thomas, and all of the incredible people here at Feeding Tampa Bay and helping our neighbors. You know, and I have to, you know, when you talk about the kids moving away, like one of my proud moments is my older son has joined a fraternity and because I've been able to bring the need home, 
you know, teaching my my kids what I do and, and why we do it and, and the impact that we have here at Feeding Tampa Bay, he has now stepped into that role no. as part of the fraternity. So he just went up for the philanthropy position um, with his paternity, and he's partnered with Second Harvest in Orlando, and um, that's a proud moment yes. for me. Uh, that's got to yes. be a proud moment. Yeah. Definitely. And that didn't, I didn't push for that. It just right. naturally happened. It came to him. It just naturally happened. Yeah. So it makes me proud that I can live and breathe what I do, and it's somehow coming through <laughs> to the people that are around me. Yeah. yeah. Without it being intentional. Right. right. You know, Absolutely. One of those meant to be kind of things. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, just like with Jack, I know you, you spend a lot of time with Thomas, but one of the things that we, we wanted to do during this uh, version of Humans in the Food Bank is to give everyone a chance to, like, you know, ask Thomas a burning question, whether it's about, like, the organization or himself or our future or anything like that. Um, you know, any kind of curiosity that you have. <laughs> well, I do have a question for you, Thomas. I, oh I want to know, <laughs> in the 10 years that you've been with Feeding Tampa Bay, what is your most impactful moment? Mm. Wow. There are a lot. A lot, I know. Yeah, There's and so I'll, many. I'll share this story, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just share this story. So you mentioned Fresh Force, and, you know, we've put a lot of meals on tables, and we have provided a wider variety of services, ever-increasing support for our friends and neighbors, and... Uh, we've, you know, we've had moments where we've been lauded as an organization where, you know, I've been recognized personally, all of which, great. But um, we have a gentleman here that came through Fresh Force out of incarceration. And I was walking to the parking lot one day, and I guess he's in his early 50s. And he walked up to me and he said, uh, hey, can I tell you something? And this person is an irrepressible personality, <laughs> to yes. say the least. Yes. Big old grin. Mm. Uh, and he approaches me. And, and first, what's important to me is that he feels like he can approach me and say something, you know, just because we're, you know, the thing I think about our organization that I always want to make sure is that all of us are equal. We just have different job descriptions, mm-hmm. including me. So up he bounds to me and he looks at me and says, can I tell you something? And I said, sure. He said, I just got my first driver's license mm-hmm. in my life. And it's because of feeding Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And I am so proud to be here. And I said, you've earned it. Mm-hmm. You know, as we say to all our Fresh Forks, Fresh Forks graduates, we don't care where you've been. We only care where you're going. Mm-hmm. And he said, you see that baby blue Mustang over there? And I said, yeah, that's a butte. And he goes, that's mine. Mm-hmm. First car I've ever owned in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's because of feeding Tampa Bay. Yeah. And... You know, it's the moment of seeing the personification of your mission in front of you and the ability to share that with another human being. Uh, that's a gift. And so I've had many of those over the years, but that one has stuck probably because we both wanted the same things. We wanted to be an organization where a human being could find their way forward just like you, whatever that was. And we wanted people to come into our world that cared about others and getting better and doing that which they felt drawn to and responsible for. And uh, to me, it's the best of who we are as an organization. 
I agree. I've had some incredible interaction with the graduates from Fresh Force. Um, you know, you know, we talk about. I'm going to just add one more mission moment. I remember when we did our staff meetings here, pre-COVID, when everybody would come here to the food bank, and you had stood up in front of the room, Thomas, and said, "Does anybody have any mission moments?" And we had a gentleman from Trinity Cafe stand up and said, "I'm no longer homeless because mm -hmm. of feeding Tampa yes. Bay." Yeah. And I'll never forget that moment. To me, it like it took my breath away when mm. he said that, and I felt really proud that for my role here at Feeding Tampa Bay, I had a small part in that, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and actually changing somebody's life like that. Yeah. So. We say this often, particularly you and I that have a mm -hmm. few more miles on our cars. Yes. <laughs> people don't understand you don't get many chances right. in life to be in a place like this with people like this doing the work that we do. Right. Uh, it just doesn't happen that right. often. I think one other thing I've learned since being here is that everybody has a story, which maybe mm -hmm. I didn't pay attention to previ previous to coming to Feeding Tampa yeah. Bay. Mm. Yeah. I, I have to agree with you on yeah. that. So it opens your eyes. It does open your eyes and makes you in. stop and think. And how important dignity and respect Correct. is across the board. Yes, Shannon, for sure. Hmm. Thank you for joining us, my Thank friends. you for having me. This yeah. has been great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Everyone deserves an opportunity to make memories around the table with friends and family. But the reality is that so many people have to go without. This season, you can play a pivotal part in giving the gift of cheer and good health by donating food to school children, families, and seniors throughout the community. Your contribution will truly be savored. Go to feedingtampabay.org slash feedtheseason to give the gift of nutrition for the holidays. That's feedingtampabay.org slash feedtheseason. Another food banker has stepped into our world, but um, he is much more. He's wonderful at what he does, and I really want to understand a lot of his work. And for those who are listening to understand what he does, which is a huge lift for us. But so many great things about you as a, as a person. Patrick, welcome to Stick a Fork in It. We're so excited. I think you've stepped in and sat with us before. Briefly. First time on the podcast, Shannon. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, see, that was me wishful thinking. <laughs> so we're going to open it up. We've opened it up with everybody to tell us about you. And there are so many great things about you that I think need to be shared. So tell us. Yeah. Well, I'll start with feeding Tampa Bay stuff mm -hmm. and then maybe expand from there if that's all right. Sure. Sure. Okay. However you feel comfortable. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I'm uh, about six and a half years in as a food banker at Feeding Tampa Bay. My name is Patrick Doyle. I'm the development officer for grants. Uh, so I manage a small team as part of our fundraising team. We write uh, grant applications, work with funders to report on the work that we do uh, with the funding that we get through those grants. Um, all in service to ending hunger in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been doing that for about four and a half years in development. I started off at Feeding Tampa Bay, working with our procurement team. Part-time, right? It's a part-time job, yeah. uh, traveling around to work with our uh, grocery stores that donate food to us. So uh, really found a place in the mission. And then when the, uh, the new position in development opened up, I was like, hey, I kind of want to do that. So yeah. moved over and it's been really good ever since then. How were you drawn to Feeding Tampa Bay? Yeah, so I have a nonprofit background, uh, also a 
like a little bit of a journalism background and I really like broke into that after college. But uh, all of that is kind of in service to making our world a better place. So some of the previous nonprofit work I've done is uh, working with 211. That's the phone number that people call to find resources in their community. So I would answer the phone and talk to people who are going through you know, the whole array of life conditions uh, and helping them find food, shelter, mental health resources, healthcare, all sorts of other stuff like that. Uh, so uh, that was kind of the my first nonprofit job. I did a couple years of AmeriCorps doing that. I also worked at an anti-poverty agency when I lived in Wisconsin. I ran a free clothing center, managed volunteers. It's one of those like really small nonprofits where you do like seven different things. <laughs> um, so learned a lot there. And, uh, and then when I moved to this area, I was uh, looking to get back into nonprofit work and found Feeding Tampa Bay and knew, you know, the Feeding America network uh, mm-hmm. from my work uh, with 211. I just knew there was a lot, of, a lot of good stuff going on. So I applied for the job and I walked into the warehouse and there was just like an instant energy that like, <laughs> I connected with. I think anybody that walks in our doors uh, recognizes that. We hear that from people all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I knew it was a place that I wanted to work. How, where did this uh, this desire to serve come from? Is this a familial mm-hmm. thing? Is this a personal drive? But where, where has this sense inside of you that said, uh, I think I'm getting this right, that mm-hmm. I have an obligation and responsibility to make sure this world is a better place for my presence in it. How how yeah. was that developed in you? Where did that start? Yeah, I don't know if there was anything like specific that pushed me there, except for that my parents are really good people. You know, we didn't do like a lot of volunteering when I was young, but I think they instilled some level of morality in, in me. And then as I... Uh, you know, came of age and could see like what is happening all over our community, all over our country, like wanting to make a difference and uh, knowing that I could make a difference. And what so, did yeah. you go to school for? I have a degree in journalism. So uh, radio focus specifically. So oh. I'm very comfortable yeah. with this microphone. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, did you, what did you envision you would do with that? Were you going to be a, uh, a writer? Were you going to be a, a, you know, a person that broke stories, did in-depth? Yeah. You know, did, you, uh, did you go for that degree of convenience and, and ease? Or did you go <laughs> to that? Well, some people just go yeah, for yeah. subjects that they naturally have a facility with. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about doing with that? Yeah, I think in the midst of the program, I was was thinking I would be a reporter, mm-hmm. you know, maybe work in like government reporting. Uh, there's like a, a particular type of hustle that you need as a reporter that I, I don't exactly have that. I have a lot of the other skills, but mm-hmm. like, um, so it wasn't, wasn't quite a fit for me, but yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking was, uh, reporting, you know, in service to democracy, to knowledge, to just information for people free flow of information is something I'm still very passionate about mm-hmm. so now um we we could say and i think you would agree with this and and hopefully all the listeners would agree with this that we ultimately believe that 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 uh, provision of food and services is social justice and it's yeah. about equity but are you involved in in some of your own passions about democracy and things that are important to you to make sure that our, you know, were you an election watch monitor? I don't know, maybe you were, but how does that manifest itself in you aside from here or does it? Yeah, I think it's mostly in like the casual sense. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very community minded. So mm-hmm. I, I interact with my neighbors as much as possible, mm-hmm. something that some people don't do. Uh, I don't have any like formal, 
um, formal interaction with, you know, saving democracy at the moment and more focused on our mission here. With okay. Tampa Bay. Well, I think, yeah. you know, I, 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 I would say to my kids who probably are somewhat yeah. similarly aged to you, mm-hmm. but my generation, I guess a little bit of our generation, mm-hmm. we've made a fine mess of things, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, thanks for that, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> We're hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that folks y'all's age, you know, probably you and Ev, uh, have a better sense of responsibility to, we'll yeah. use your word, democracy. Yeah. Do you have a sense that your peer group shares the same sense of responsibility that you're aware of? Yeah, I think I think it's lying slightly under the surface. I think there's something that needs to be awakened in people uh, my age. Um, you know, what's going to do that? I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think there's a, a notion uh, with a lot of people of our generation that there's something not quite right, and we're trying to figure out how we can how we can make it right. And I think that engaging in your community, volunteering, uh, doing something to help up your neighbor is a, is a great way to do it, and and maybe not have to like interact with other parts of a broken system. You can make a direct interaction, make a direct commitment. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. In, in, you yeah. know. You mentioned you've been here six and a half years, so you've had jobs, right? Responsibilities, you know, mm-hmm. things that that you're, you know, tasks to which you're assigned. Yeah. But how has this position here? How has your time at Feeding Tampa Bay allowed you to activate the things in you that matters? What's that yeah. connection to you, and and how do you live that out, or how do you experience that here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are moments where I'm in the middle of my work and I feel a little bit disconnected from the mission, but I do take a step back and I think when I'm, uh, when I'm writing a sentence to a funder about how they're going to, uh, feed some people, I, I do like picture, you know, some of the faces that are in this room or just imagine, uh, imagine what's going to happen because of the work that I'm doing. That's kind of what state, what keeps me motivated. Uh, it's it, you know, it's a really interesting point that you make. So I was thinking about when you started with us, you were mm-hmm. part-time and you were yeah. in stores. And so you had a direct relationship with what we would call a customer and a donor of ours, right? Yeah. So physically you were in front of someone whom you could interact right. with. And right. you probably saw more of the line uh, responsibilities we have to feeding our friends and neighbors. But mm-hmm. now you have a job that's much more interior. Yeah, I think one of the challenges for folks is that you can start to feel like you're making sausage. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. We used to do an exercise at our larger meetings where we'd say, what's your job description? And people would go around and they would say, well, you know, I'm Ev and I work in communications and I'm Shannon and I work in marketing and PR until somebody finally said, I feed people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I end hunger. Yeah. I end <laughs> hunger. I feed people. Right. Because all of us have that job description in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, something for you, I guess, that you have to keep your eye on to make sure mm-hmm. Uh, that you have a recollection that at the end of your work is a meal on a table or a service yeah. provided. Yeah, I do. It takes uh, it takes some um, mental strength for sure, um, but you know that's that's how I keep grounded too. Is that's that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about uh, maybe not even the mission of ending hunger all the time, but thinking about the people mm-hmm. who probably deserve something better just by nature of being alive, mm-hmm. um, and that keeps me motivated to do to make the sausage (laughs) (laughs) well i can feel that way right you can become very disconnected Mm. from what you do one of the reasons why we have uh agency shop here uh now clients guests come in and shop here is because it keeps us connected to our work Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. get to see folks every day Mm -hmm. so 
thinking about your, you mentioned wonderfully your relationship with your parents and their morality. Mm-hmm. Your dad. I am. Right. New dad, yeah. New dad, year in? Uh, nine months, almost wow. 10 months now, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So perspective in your world, how has that changed your way, by, you know, of thinking yeah. about the obligation and responsibility of the future? How mm-hmm. has that started to color your world? Man, I'm I'm trying to keep um, like dirt out of his mouth right now, mostly. Don't eat to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but you must but feel it's not, a greater sense of responsibility. Absolutely, yeah. It's not too early to uh, to start thinking about that stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a heavy responsibility to know that there's uh, there's somebody in front of me who needs to learn how the world works, and there are some ways he could learn how the world works that I don't think the world should work that way. Mm. So. Um, yeah, I already started thinking about, you know, what, what I can do to make this young life somebody who is um, supportive of the people around him, uh, supportive of causes that are greater than him. Um, and yeah, just uh, just be a good influence in the world. Mm-hmm. It's heavy. It's really yeah. heavy. <laughs> I think it'll come naturally from you, though. I mean, it, it, yeah. it seems to have come naturally to you from your parents. I think it'll come naturally from you to your, to your mm-hmm. child. Thanks, Ev. Yeah. Appreciate I think that. So. <laughs> I think so as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, one thing that we, we wanted to do with uh, with each of our guests was yeah. give you a chance to uh, ask Thomas any burning questions you might have had. You know, you've been here a while. Mm-hmm. You know the organization pretty well, but you know, um, this is a chance to just kind of you know any any kind of lingering curiosities you might have about him, about the organization, about what we do, any of that. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering what you were actually doing in Russia all those years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My stepsons are convinced I was with the, I was with the Russian mafia. Um, So I had a unique opportunity uh, when I was in the for-profit world um, as after the wall fell and as Russia was trying to establish open, you know, markets for financial uh, services and, uh, you know, build capital wealth and start to invest in their businesses, they needed partners to do that. And I worked for a bank at the time that decided to go over there and set up shop and help build the infrastructure of the common markets, the open stock markets, yeah. uh, which is what I did in my for-profit world. And so they needed someone to go over there and uh, help head that office up, which is what I did. So I was there for almost three years, uh, 95, 94, 95, 96, somewhere in there, 97 whatever it was, but, but about two and a half years. That's the cover story. That's the cover story. That's, that's why I asked the question. <laughs> but I will tell you, so I grew up during the Cold War. Yeah. And the idea that, I remember the moment I stood in Red Square for the first time and looked at Lenin's tomb and the Politburo, and uh, it was staggering to me to think that because I, I didn't, I never would have presumed that an American could go to Russia freely and openly. Yeah. Uh, and and so we were there to open up a representative office and build a business, all of which we did. Hire, we hired Russian employees and and built the business that uh, that may exist today for all uh, I know. But I think Patrick, the thing that is most fascinating to me was being a part of a culture that was so different than the one I came from, so different than the one I perceived, and being a part of a country that was in such transition. It was fascinating. I kept a journal that is probably about two inches thick, and I someday still think I have it printed out because it was sold, but I still think it would have been fascinating to go back and look at that because every day I learned something different about a country and people that I never could have imagined. And there are many, many truisms that I learned, um, 
that I probably still think about today. Yeah, um, what lessons do you yeah, think? Yeah, there, what, there, what there, right, there are many. Hmm. Right, First, there was a saying in Russia, the Russian you haven't met is the meanest person you'll ever know, and the Russian you mm-hmm. have met is the nicest. Wow. And this was very true. People were incredibly generous to us. Mm-hmm. They're very intrigued by the United States because their perception of who we were was very different. Mm-hmm. You know, the stories they were told were far different than things that were, in fact, reality. Much like those we would have heard about them. I'm right, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yes. And so it was fascinating to see that. It was also fascinating fascinating to see a culture of people, you know, where when I was there, they didn't have a telephone system that would cover the entire country. Mm-hmm. In Moscow, Russia, you are actually closer to Denver, Colorado than you are the other side of Russia. <laughs> wow. It's 11 time zones wide. Wow. Yeah. So it was just a neat place. The other thing that I learned about being in Russia, uh, from a business standpoint, they used to have this phrase, uh, have they dropped the dead fish on the table? And I remember hearing this thinking, what is that? <laughs> And so we would work very hard to develop contracts for service. Okay, well, you know, like you would with any business, you'd work hard, negotiate the contract, negotiate, negotiate. You'd finally finish this contract, right? And then there would be immense amounts of drinking to celebrate said contract, <laughs> right? They were hugely in, interested in these, right? Vodka. <laughs> right? One shot after another. As a non-drinker, as a navigating that process was interesting. So, <laughs> so then, a few days later, you'd call your new contract partner and say, okay, let's get started. And they'd say, well, we'd like to talk about the contract a little bit. And we're like, well, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Like, well, this is Russia. <laughs> everything's a little different here, and everything's open to negotiation which is when they drop the dead fish on the table, right? Because you, you, right? you think you had it all done and it wasn't done. <laughs> it taught me tolerance and patience. And then the last thing, which was most important, which is probably the lesson that I bring in here today, is that all cultures and people are different. And learning to meet them where they were as opposed to asking them to come meet me where I was was when I began to be successful. Because your natural inclination is to say, we're Americans, we're capitalists, we got all this figured out. Mm -hmm. And we didn't, and we don't. And then I'll finish by saying this, about three weeks before I left Russia, I was walking up Tverskaya, which is the main boulevard up from Red Square. I was walking up the street and they were putting up posters on the signposts, the street lamps. uh, And they were going to celebrate Moscow's 750th anniversary. (laughs) And I remember thinking, where in the heck will we be in 500 years? And maybe we don't know everything we think we know. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, And so it taught me about the importance of trying to think differently about humans uh, than I might have. Man. The Russia question. Thank you. It made it. It made it. That's great. (laughs) Patrick, we appreciate you so much, all the work that you do. Thanks, Shannon. the wonderful grants that come in and that make our work possible. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks and for I look forward to a second time. <laughs> one the clearly time. <laughs> that needs to be done. Let's do it. You should have him in with his banjo. Ah, yes. Well, that I was going to ask him, but that wasn't the tone for it. Mm. And we haven't, <laughs> wait a minute, pause. <laughs> You're a wonderful musician, mm-hmm. which Thanks. we're really fortunate to have a handful here at Feeding Tampa That's Bay true. because this diverse group that we love. Yeah. Can you just, on the way out, tell us a little bit about your music. Yeah, I play in a band called The Wandering Hours. We play mostly original music and bluegrass and old-time uh, Appalachia styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing all around the Tampa Bay area and getting out of town to tour every once in a while mm-hmm. uh, when we can. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, song songwriter, singer, banjo player, uh, husband, what? father, mm-hmm. food yeah, banker. Those things too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where can they anyone find your music? Yeah, it's on all the streaming platforms. You can find us at the Wandering Hours. We're on most social media too, at least Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, no TikTok quite yet. Hmm. Okay. Well, we encourage you guys to check Patrick and his band out. They're amazing and very talented. Thank you again for sitting with us at the table. Cheers, guys. Woo, the greatness keeps coming in. It does, it does. Um, <laughs> really excited to have someone amazing from our volunteer team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you know, we all work together so often. I see Sean a lot. Yeah. Sean, welcome to Thank Stick you. a Fork in It. So thrilled to have you. Um, so we want you to tell you a little bit about yourself. You know, we want people to get to know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if you were to share that, walk into a room and share about yourself, what would you say? Um, well, that's a complicated question, <laughs> but um, I we're think here I, for it. Yeah, I think I would start by saying, you know, my name is Sean, Sean Chapel. Um, I work for Feeding Tampa Bay, uh, 28 years old, so um, pretty interesting life leading up to this point. Um, a lot of good, a lot of bad, like most people, um, but super excited to work here at this organization. Um, I love fitness, so I've found that that's where I find my most peaceful moments uh, is within exercise. I grew up playing sports my whole life, so I kind of carried that over. Into, what did you did you play like high school, organized? Yeah. Uh, yep, so I played competitive soccer my whole life. Oh, um, okay. since, it's been a good few weeks for you, <laughs> yeah. until it wasn't. Yeah, right. well, you know, U.S. <laughs> soccer, we're, we're still working to be a little bit better, but... Um, uh, yeah, so I grew up playing soccer my whole life. That was kind of how uh, I originally kind of found my identity within myself, actually, was through sports. So mm-hmm. um, it was a way for me and my dad to connect as well. So really leaned into that. Um, was naturally gifted, so kind of just always uh, found myself on the soccer field, um, you know, trying to get better. Did you think you were going to, you know, there's, there's the, you know, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% that make it. Did you have dreams of that as a kid? And, 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 and at what point did you, um, did you start to say, well, this is going to be more of a avocation than a vocation or Mm -hmm. did you, you know, would you have dreams of bigger things? Yeah. I don't know if, you know, that's a great question. I don't know if I ever had dreams of being quote unquote, a professional soccer player, but I think at one point there was a dream to pursue it uh, collegiately at least Um, and when I say I spent a lot of time on the soccer field I mean it was that was the majority of my life growing up was playing soccer what year did you start four Uh, yeah I must have been um, yeah four or five as soon as I could walk and you know I got mom and dad coaching and my brothers playing and that was kind of how our family operated I remember growing up and it was always uh, me and my dad would be in one county mom and brother would be in another county (laughs) because we're traveling all that good stuff um but yeah back to your question thomas i think um 
every everyone that's serious in a sport, they always dream of going to that next level at some point in their life, um, especially, you know, early teens. At least that's my opinion. Um, and then, you know, you get into high school and you start finding other interests and in other things, you know what I mean? So, um, I grew a little bit rebellious, um, to say it lightly. So, uh, kind of veered away from, from the sports, uh, always still played it and always still gifted at it. Um, but that just kind of, uh, fell to the wayside of what I was committed to doing, um, just because it took so much discipline. And I think for me personally, at that age of 15, 16, and 17, it was very hard to be disciplined towards something that would benefit me later on in life. Did you feel like you were burned out on the sport or on the process of the sport? Um, I think it was a little bit of both, mostly the process of the sport and... Um, Again, it was a, a little bit of a rebellion of I knew that's where my parents kind of wanted me to yeah, go. Okay. Um, and it was like, oh, I'll show you. You <laughs> know what I mean? And <laughs> of course, looking back, you know, being a little bit more mature and going through life, you say, you know, oh, I really showed them. You know what I mean? Like they just wanted the best for me. Right. Um, and I have a really great family. My dad's a firefighter, so he's very, you know, say it how it is and, you know, focus on discipline show up, do your job and leave. Um, and that's kind of how he raised me. So it was very, um, I don't want to say abrupt or, you know, aggressive in any way, but it was very much like he would just want the best for me, but I didn't see that at the time um, in the way of which it was directed at me. And looking back again, it's like, you know, he was doing the best he could and how he could do it. So I think there's a, there's a feeling amongst a lot of folks that uh, your parents are complete total idiots from the age yep. when you're 15 to when yep. you're 25. Yeah, uh, I would, it's uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that for sure, no At doubt. At 25, you start to go, huh? Oh, mm -hmm. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yep. But not everyone comes to that realization. Right. So right. you know, for the listener, uh, we know mom and dad well, mm -hmm. right? So we know your dad well as a firefighter and and has bravely served our community for many many years. But we're of course much closer to your mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I tell the story about Colleen Chapel. When I came to the food bank 10 years ago, we were, as, as many know, in some tough spots. And uh, your mom came to a, we had a wine in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. uh, we were trying to get anybody and their brother to come. So we'd have a little coffee, you know, these gatherings and serve wine and some hors d'oeuvres. And I'm sure it was screw top wine and all that kind of stuff. Because that's all we could <laughs> the afford. The good stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And here's some uh, pigs in a blanket. And right. We'll call it an event. Uh, your mom came and I and, uh, found out she was in the PR business. And I asked if I could go see her and went to visit her. And I said, hey, look, we're in a tough spot. Uh, we need some help. Can you provide us uh, free uh, PR marketing services? And she said, yes, uh, mm. to my great delight. Mm -hmm. uh, and your mom, of course, has been in our orbit uh, since then. Uh, incredibly important in our, our orbit. And I, I like to think we're incredibly important in your mom's orbit. I, you guys definitely are, so, for sure. So I, I, I say all of that, mm -hmm. A, because it's, again, part of our origin story, and I guess we're doing here over the last 10 <laughs> years, uh, right? So... 
I'm sure that's how you found out about us, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that's how you made your way here. But talk about that process, because it's interesting that I think, and I would share this gene with you, that rebellious gene, mm-hmm. right? I have yep. that inside mm-hmm. of me too, right? So, But you ended up coming to a place that was a place where your mom is very important, that mm-hmm. she's you know not, not mythical in our world, but mm-hmm. right? how did you make your way to say, well... Uh, I'm sure on one hand you needed a paycheck, mm-hmm. but right. But how did you make your way here, and how did you navigate the idea that this is a place your mom's incredibly close to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some great questions there, and I think uh, my origin story of finding feeding Tampa Bay is a little bit different than I think what most people would assume um, because of my mom's um, success and known, you know. Um, relationships within the community. I think people assume that I know all those relationships. Um, And prior to working here, obviously I knew she was affiliated with Feeding Tampa Bay and did work with you all, but it was never, um, you know, I never inquired in great detail. Like, Oh, you didn't know the extent of it. it, I I really didn't. You know what I mean? It's something your mom does. Yeah, it's just something, it's another thing. Given your mom's, yeah, you're right. Given your mom's. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I, you know, not to boast for her, but she has... Uh, quite the resume of people that she works with. And, you know, growing up, I think I grew, um, I don't want to say a numbness, but, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you're working with the Tampa Bay Bucks, you're working with Feeding Tampa Bay, the Rays. You know, it was just another name on the list, you know what I mean? But I did know she was affiliated here. So to kind of backtrack a little bit, I was um, working and going to school at USF, um, part-time. So I was working full-time, going to school part-time, and I was at a job that was, uh, media company. We did, um, basically marketing collateral for construction companies. So we would do 3d renderings, floor plans, things like that, that would allow construction companies to sell homes and properties before they were ever built. So it was a great job, got me great experience, but I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, and I knew finishing school was super important. So this was back in 2018, 2019. So I made the decision to step away from that job and finish school full time. Mm -hmm. And my plan, um, and we all know how plans normally (laughs) go. So my plan was to finish school for my last two semesters and then jump right back into the workforce. And I figured at that point I had experience and I would have my degree. So it would be pretty seamless transition because I would also have a reason of my, you know, work experience gap and, you know, be able to say that in the interview, like, hey, this was my, uh, my plans and intentions. Um, Then COVID happened. So uh, my last semester at USF, it was supposed to be brick and mortar, brick and mortar. And then, um, you know, midway through COVID happened. So we're all Mm -hmm. online. Everyone's trying to navigate that whole new experience. Everyone's trying to figure out what to do. Um, so I ran into a stretch of about nine or 10 months where I didn't have a job. Um, you know, I was looking, I was applying everywhere and it was the early stages of COVID where people still didn't really know how to navigate it. People were getting laid off. People were working from home, all sorts of different scenarios. And I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, get myself into a place where I can build a career. Cause ultimately that was my main goal was to build a career. Um, one day I was actually on LinkedIn and I was meeting my mom for breakfast, just kind of out of the blue. And I mentioned that I saw a post and that's when I actually first acquired about, you know, her work and what she does here again, knowing that, 
she does work with you and um, no, you know, I know Kelly Sims and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but I asked her, you know, is, is this something that, you know, I could apply for and, you know, um, you think I would have a chance at, you know, maybe maybe getting the position. And she said, you know, um, definitely apply for it. You know, I'll help you through the application and like, you know, put you at the best chance of getting it, but it has to be done by yourself. And my, my family's always been like that. They never let me ride their coattails. It's always, you know, we're here to provide support, but we're never here to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that's always been instilled in me. And then um, another super important, wa- uh, you know, an important thing that I had to consider was knowing that she's affiliated with you guys. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> yeah. So where yeah. I'm stepping into a place where it's like, hey, I don't want to just be Colleen Chapel's son. You know what I mean? I've always struggled with that within the workforce anytime I'm associated with her because she's so successful and so loved in the community. You know, I want to build my own identity and I'm not Mm -hmm. ashamed to be her son by any means. I'm super proud of my mom and I'm my mom's biggest advocate. But at the same time, I want to be my own person. Um, And obviously, I want to make her proud and do the right thing, but also understand that like, hey, if I do something, I'm not associated with my mom. I did it on my own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, it was it was a super unique situation to have to navigate. But ultimately, it worked out, came in and actually volunteered before I even interviewed, met Derek. Um, And ever since then, it's just been uh, just celebrated my two years in in November. So yeah, happy anniversary. (laughs) So let me let me ask my last question, which is, you know, it's always interesting. We have these conversations, you get a different flavor and slice of each person Mm -hmm. and what they're doing. So, you know, you talked about your identity was in sports for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then you talked to I'm I'm putting these words in your mouth. You talked about some of your identity was rebelliousness. Mm -hmm. Right now, you're 28 years old, as you said, you've got a career behind you, or you're starting a career. And uh, how are you thinking about identity now? What's on your mind about the way in which you think, you know, it's interesting the way you said, you know, this is my name, Mm -hmm. this is where I work, this is my age. Mm -hmm. How are you thinking about that identity in your world today? Yeah, I think that's another super interesting question. I think that's something that I've been, you know, personally working on is kind of building my own identity and not so much caring about what I think people want me to be, because that's something I've always struggled with is, you know, again, back to the conversation with my mom, I assumed people would think I'm Colleen Chapel's son, when in reality, I don't think a lot of people actually do that. You know what I mean? I make that identity of myself in my own head. So something I've really been focusing on is, you know, what makes me happy? You know, I, I, I mentioned fitness and working mm-hmm. out, but I also, you know, like to read. I like to get tattoos. Mm-hmm. I like to, you know, be alone and just kind of have my alone time and do whatever I want to at that moment. I like to spend time with family, with friends. I like to do such a wide variety of things where I think identity is kind of a a fluid, ever-changing thing, especially in my life because my interests continue to change and the more I learn about myself and the more I learn Mm -hmm. what makes me tick is super important to actually forming that identity. And sometimes I struggle with it. I think a lot of people struggle with their identity and figuring out, um, you know, who they want to be versus who they think they want to be versus what other people want them to be. And I think, um, you know, with my identity, something that's 
you know, really helped me a lot is, you know, the confidence and knowing that I can be whoever I want to be. And it's still, you know, people are going to be either okay or not okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that's really none of my business. Well, I hope, I, I guess that maybe I didn't have one, uh, but, but you're able to be Sean here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I you think that's, Sean. you're mm -hmm. Sean here. And mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, you know, that's a gift as, as you know, we would know certainly identity is a, it's a, a journey, not a destination. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Constantly moving. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that we wanted to do with each of our guests was uh, give you an opportunity while we're here. We've got Thomas, we've got microphones, you know, he can't go anywhere. Uh, give you a chance to ask him a question. You know, it could be literally about anything, but just, you know, while we're here and chatting, is there anything that you're curious about that, you know, you, burning questions you might have for Thomas? Yeah, am I allowed to ask two questions? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'll give okay. you two. <laughs> okay, perfect. So the first one is actually from my boss, Derek. He wants to know how you have your eggs in the morning. <laughs> Uh, so eggs are infrequent, okay. but if I have them, more often than not scrambled. Okay, mm -hmm. he said you're a, you look like a hard-boiled egg kind of guy. <laughs> so I, I, you can eggs take, in almost any form, not bad. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, you can take that up with him. But more on this serious <laughs> note, I do. So I'm sorry you wasted your one question. <laughs> no, no, no. I got I got the green light. Yeah, yeah. I've I've learned to ask first. Look at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so you know, I thought a lot about this and. Um, you know, I want to know, you know, kind of how you keep yourself in the proper mindset or an encouraging mindset of when you're up against a task that is seemingly impossible, such as ending hunger or other tasks that are seemingly impossible within your own life. What do you do to keep your mind I guess, centered or keep your mind in an encouraging output of, hey, we can do this, even though it is seemingly impossible, because I think people struggle with that yeah. Uh, yeah. quite often. Yeah, I think, thank you. It's a great question. I think, I think you're asking in some ways two different parts of the question. So I would tell you personally, uh, much like yourself, I've had to make my way through uh, adversity. Mm -hmm. And making my way through adversity, I had to learn some tools and techniques that allowed me to create some of the boundary space, you know, the toolkit I needed, you know, so I read, write, pray, meditate every day, right? Mm -hmm. That's been a part of my discipline for 30 years. Uh, exercise like you, you know, people uh, will often say why you're so disciplined to go work out for me, it is a grace and a, you know, to go hit the weight room at the end of the day is just right. So I've learned the things that I need to do. I've learned how to find space, you know, like you mentioned, I have to go be quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody asked me earlier about where I live. And one of the reasons why I live where I live is it's quiet, okay. right? So I can go find space. Um, so I've learned ways to keep myself as as well balanced as I can, and like anybody else, sometimes that balance is is better than others. Um, I think the other thing that I would say, and it's funny because this has come up a couple of different times, I would say that uh, I have learned to keep my head down and just keep walking forward. You know, sometimes the best question you can ask is why, and sometimes the worst question you can ask is why. Uh, but if I had one thing that I think I feel really good about, it would, it would be that I keep showing up. No matter what, I'll mm -hmm. show up. Uh, no matter how bad it is or how good it is, I will show up. Uh, there are days that it's been really hard for me to get up, and there are days that I was so scared the food bank was going to close or I was going to fail it. I can't tell you the horror and nights that I would wake up in the middle of the night in, in a sweat thinking, am I going to fail this organization? Uh, it scared the bejesus out of me. And the only thing that kept me going was a belief that it was bigger and more important than I was. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so then when you reduce it to those terms, you say, just keep working as hard as you can, because that's the only thing I knew how to do. That's the only thing I know how to do. Um, And so more than anything else, I just keep walking forward and try not to assign too much value to anything. Uh, Some of my colleagues will accuse me of not being a very good celebrator, and they're probably right. I'm also not a very big despairer. Mm -hmm. I generally try and stay in the middle because we are never as good as our last win and we are never as bad as our last loss. You know, and so I try to keep it in the middle as much as I can. Uh, I think the other part about it is that's really the role of leadership. You know, you have to be willing to stand in. If you want to do this, you have to be willing to stand in. And and, uh, I was reminded uh, when we were talking to Jack about we let a guy, I was here for a week and we let a guy go. Uh, who's a driver, who, as it turns out, was exceptionally volatile. And so when we let him go, he turned and he threw his phone and it made it all the way through the wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> there was, oh, welcome to <laughs> yeah, there <we> go. <laughs> the food bank. Straight through the, the wall board, right? You see a little yeah. like it's like uh, almost like a cartoon. Yeah, should, have, should have been a pitcher, not a driver. <laughs> <laughs> he was mad, mm-hmm. shall we say. Mm. And, uh, I mean, people are scrambling under desks. They were scared to death. And then somebody said, I think he has guns at home. And now people are really freaking out. Mm-hmm. And we finally got him out the front door. And then uh, I walked and I stood at the front door. And I'm not a, I'm not a conflict guy. Mm-hmm. But I stood at the front door and he kept coming up those steps at me over and over again. He would get in front of my face and he'd yell at me. All I needed to do was just stand there because I would not want that visited upon anybody else. I'm not braver than anybody else. I was just willing to mm-hmm. do it. And I think that, for me, Sean, more than anything else, just kind of, you know, that's the job. You have to stand in, step up and stand in, even when you don't feel any of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for people to know. I don't feel any of that in the moment. I just do the next thing. Well, I appreciate that. Sean, we appreciate you stopping by. I'm here to tell you, you've made a place for yourself here, just Sean. Somebody you can count on. Someone who brings humor. Someone inspires good health. There are so many great things about you that you add to this team, and we are so thankful for the two years and many more ahead. Well, I appreciate it, and I'm super thankful to be here. Thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. At Jable, they strive to make anything possible and everything better. From combining unmatched breadth and depth of end market experience, technical and design capabilities, to manufacturing know-how, supply chain insights, and global product management expertise to enable success for the world's leading brands. Jable is driven by a common purpose, to make a positive impact for each other, our communities, and the environment. Jable prides itself on being a purpose-driven organization by empowering their employees to get involved with local charitable organizations to create volunteer opportunities for others to give back and drive positive change. Next in the chair, really excited about this young lady. She is part of our Food Plus team. I get the lovely opportunity lately to work with her more than ever before because of the opportunities that come. Katie, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to stick a fork in it <laughs> yes. and really dive into yeah, this 15-minute meal that we're about to have. There you go. I love it. <laughs> so first, we want you to just tell us a little bit about you personally. Okay, so I am from the Tampa Bay area originally. I'm actually from Crystal River, Florida, up in Citrus County. Um, And I went to school at Florida State, 
So nice. <laughs> yes, you know, so you're among friends. <laughs> yes, yes, always. yes. Um, and I worked up there for most of my career, um, and pr- and primarily was working in the interpersonal violence world. Okay. Um, and then COVID happened, and things hit the fan, <laughs> and I got a little bit burned out, and I wanted to be closer to my family. So I came down here to Feeding Tampa Bay and found a new passion in the the food banking world. Mm. And yeah, that's kind of how I found my way here. What was your degree in? Social work. How did you yep. choose that as a vocate or as a as a study? You know, it's interesting. I didn't start that way. Mm. I started as a communications major mm. and then I went to an English major. And then I found myself at social work, and I would walk through the College of Social Work to go to the communications college, mm-hmm. like, day after day, and it was always percolating <laughs> in my brain. But I think I found it because my mom was a teacher, mm-hmm. an elementary school teacher growing up, and she was always doing the extra thing for the students. Mm-hmm. So I'd be in the car when she would drive to a student's house and drop some fall for them, and she was always doing that. So I saw it from a young age, mm-hmm. and I said, well, how can I help those people all the time? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really how I I dove into that field and have stuck with it. What did you think you'd do with that? So I know everybody that's ever gone to college goes, picks a major, and then promptly does or does not use it. <laughs> how did you kind of envision that guiding your career thinking? Well, I think I thought I would change the world <laughs> in college. And now I don't know if I can change the world, but I think I can change one person's world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the frame of mind that I try to operate in. And um, really my main passion is connecting with people mm-hmm. and making an individual feel seen, heard, mm-hmm. believed, loved, all in the moment I get to interact with them, whether that's directly or coaching staff to be the same way. Mm. Um, I always say, you know, when I was working in sexual violence, I remember every single person I went on, call, on a call with because it was really important to me. And I still, to this day, go back through my memory bank to make sure I can remember them mm. because I might be the only person that ever knows their story. Wow. Let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. If there's a difficult profession mm-hmm. in this world, mm-hmm. right, you chose that. Right. Mm-hmm. How did you end up there? And, and well, let's start with that, and I have a follow-up. How did you end up in that work? Maybe describe it just a little bit, what your responsibilities were, what your role was. Um, Well, I think I wound up in that work from a deep-rooted sense of, like, injustice ever since I was a child. Like, I just wanted things to be fair Mm. for people. And so I think that's how I found myself there. And I have a really hard time with bad things happening to people and nobody caring. Mm. And it's really easy for people to turn a blind eye to But that's it. a particularly vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? So that's what drew you to it is that in that moment, a person is the most vulnerable they've ever been. Yeah, and they need someone there to believe them and to be there for them and to fight for them. And <clears throat> ever since college, like 
I've, I've just been a little bit of an advocate. I've always used my voice for others. And so I just kind of naturally found my so way. So you're a rabble rouser. <laughs> yeah, I'm a rebel rouser. I said, my, my mom raised me to be an independent woman, but I didn't, I don't think she knew how independent yeah. I was going to be. I don't know if she was prepared for that. Right. One other question about the profession that you chose. The emotional and psychological toll. How did you make your way through that? You know, I still think it's a challenge. I feel like I'm really good at compartmentalizing most of the time. And as time progresses, I've really learned like when I need to tune certain things out to protect my own bubble, to get through it, acknowledging that you can't be upset all the time (laughs) over Mm -hmm. things that are happening to people. Like you can't carry that weight with you every day. I think I really had to do a lot of inner work on what that means and knowing that my version of that was okay. I didn't have to live up to anybody else's version of helping people. I could live up to mine as long as I knew what was true and I was giving what I could to people in the moment. When you're, sorry, one last question about that. When Mm -hmm. you're making your way through a job like that, who provides you a toolkit? Who is there for you? How do you learn? You know, you just mentioned I, I had to create boundaries. I had to provide mental and emotional safe spaces within myself where I could still protect the things I loved and cared about. How did you learn that as a skill set? Where did that toolkit come from? Is that part of what they put in place to help folks that were in a position like you? Did you seek other supportive services? Was it an, an innate ability? How, how did you... I think Do you it, all the above? Yeah, I, I mean, pretty much. I think it's something I, I've always been pretty good at. Um, but I think that is something that I noticed that needed to happen for that whole department when I became the director of those services. And I saw people were burning out at an alarming rate um, responding to those calls. And so I said, okay, we need to find a way to keep the heart alive and also your mental like independence and clarity and all of that. And I think, you know, the heart and the mind can can interact some in not great ways. And so I wanted to find ways that people could feel seen and heard and also go home at the end of the day and not feel like they're carrying that burden with them. So I think I just worked really intentionally at doing that for myself so I could help other people do it too. Mm. Leading the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you make your way to feeding Tampa Bay, uh, all the way down here in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. What drew you to the, the job that you have today, and, and how do the responsibilities you have activate the things that you care about? So I think I found my way here. Um, I'd interacted with food banking before um, because I worked in a domestic violence shelter. So we kind of connected some with the food bank there. Um, And I was interested in the work. And then um, once I saw the job description, I thought it was such a clever idea on the Food Plus team of food is one of the biggest ways to connect with people for resources because a lot of times that is the thing that people will ask for help for. Um, and sometimes it's because they don't necessarily have to look you in the face to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's part of it. Um, but when we're meeting someone there, well, how can we help them in a bigger way beyond food and connect them to something? 
um, that's more sustainable, more stable, and that kind of a thing. So I was automatically intrigued by that idea, number one. And then I think it's twofold, like based off of my work with um, really intense stuff, the culture of feeding Tampa Bay was one of the biggest reasons that drew me here. Like I'm obsessed with the grow code. (laughs) I wanna work it into everything that we do because it has so many elements. It has the elements of connecting with people, caring about others, but also thriving as an individual and being creative and coming up with new ideas to address problems. I think it covers so many areas for a workplace that I want to see. So I think both of those things were what drew me here. And then I see it working with people down at Feeding Pinellas. You know, I'll talk to somebody that feels hopeless, Mm. that feels like there's nothing for them beyond a box of food. And... I can't give them the solutions right there at the table to solve their problems, but I can make them feel like they're important and that they matter in this space. And if that gets them through that day, then I feel like that that matters in the long run. It does. That's what you were saying earlier about, you know, you can maybe can't change the whole world, but you can definitely change one world, you know? Yep. Right. Yeah. One at a time. Yeah. And I think people just need someone to give them a chance, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like social work is all about giving people another chance. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to say second chances Mm -hmm. because sometimes people are on their 50th chance, right? Right. Life's hard. You know, people (laughs) go through so many ups and downs and I understand why people close to them may have needed to put up their own boundaries, but those people still deserve somebody. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm not somebody in that moment, then I think that's important. You know, we've talked uh, organizationally that we say there are two skills that human beings need to have to work here. Aside from all the things about whether you're a trained social worker, whether you're a class B driver, whatever it right. is, there are two skills that everybody needs to have to work here. The first is you have to have the ability to let stuff roll, mm-hmm. right? Our environment is so... Uh, ever shifting, ever changing. If you're Pivot. the kind of person that, that drives you nuts, tough place to work, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your ability to go, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting, but we'll keep moving. <laughs> the second thing is you have to be comfortable allowing every human being around you to be a human being that they are. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a friend or neighbor we're serving, a colleague we're working alongside, uh, a partner that's helping us with a particular, right? Everybody, right? The great thing about the food bank is it's a wonderful melting pot of humanity. Uh, Mm -hmm. As we've used the word before, it's a kaleidoscope that's a beautiful kaleidoscope, but every shape and color are different. Right. So it sounds like for you, that's activating and exciting. That puts you in a place where you feel like you can be you and be among folks who can be them. Right. A hundred percent. I think one of the things that growing up in a smaller environment that was really hard for me was learning how to be myself. Mm. And so I once I started to figure out who I am and I'm still on that journey, (laughs) but um, I decided like I didn't want to do a career where I couldn't feel like myself during Mm -hmm. the day. Like I wanted to be really authentic. And so I wanted to do a career where I could connect with people. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I found myself in this work. And um, at the end of the day, that's, I think, what's most important to me is that an individual person feel seen, heard, and believed in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and one one other thing that we wanted to do with everybody uh, is give them a chance to, while we while you have Thomas uh, strapped to this chair, <laughs> to be able to you know ask uh, him as sort of the the head of the organization, you know, any kind of burning questions you might have about him or FTB or you know even you, I don't know anything that you you know mm-hmm. you wanted to ask Thomas potentially uh, that you have you're curious about. <laughs> Thomas, why are you glad that I work at Feeding Tampa Bay? No. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> no, because quest- you're the kind of person that would ask that question. <laughs> my question is, what was the first job that you ever had? And do you still use something you learned then today? Oh, boy. So I came out of a generation uh, where you worked pretty early. So by 12, 12 years old, I was working. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my parents' belief in the ethic uh, that they had. And um, I wrote about this in our um, employee uh, colleague uh, cookbook. Mm. Mm. I delivered newspapers. First thing I had where somebody actually paid me. Uh, and so I would deliver the Sunday papers. Uh, which was in the Northeast in the wintertime very difficult. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. As a native Floridian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had a little, <laughs> I had a little red flexible flyer wagon, and, and I could take maybe 30 or 40 newspapers at a time, but I had 200, and oh, I would man. go back and forth. And I, one particular, it was tough, one particular winter day, Sunday, it was just, there was more snow on the ground, and it probably took me five hours, and I started at six in the morning or something, and um, and I finally got back to the house, and uh, I walked in, and I could smell bologna frying, hmm. uh, and I walked in, and I sat down, you know, after peeling off crusted layers of frozen <laughs> right. pants, and every part of my body is wet and cold, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, shucked all that off, and I went and I sat in the kitchen, and I could have just cried. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother put in front of me a plate, uh, you know, of, of uh, uh, two bologna sandwiches. And uh, I learned two things that day. One is, unbeknownst to me, I learned the power of food, and that food was love, mm-hmm. right? But number two, I learned work ethic, And of all the things, you know, when you get to a particular place in your career, particularly when you've had success around you, people tend to think, well, you know, uh, you're smarter than the average bear, you're whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm none of those. I've simply learned how to work hard. And that was probably the thing. I didn't give up. You know, I just kept at the task in front of me put my head down and move forward. And Jack was sharing some stories about the early days of the food bank here, which were really tough. I, I just don't, I don't ever have words to say how tough it was. But I employed the same thing then as I employed when I was taking those papers around. Keep your head down, keep walking forward, work hard. Uh, just show up. Hmm. Just keep showing up. And that's something today... Um, Jesus, close to 50 years, uh, 40 years later, I still remember. 50 years later, I still remember. Yeah. Interesting, because now our news is delivered in one second yeah. to our phones. <laughs> <laughs> no wagon required. Hours yeah. in the snow. Why did someone <laughs> ask her to be on this read. podcast? Why is she on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have that counterpoint, you know? <laughs> you know, but I mean, you could say um, we used to have a more intimate connection with how we receive the news. Mm. We used to know who delivered it to us. That's yes. true. That's very true. Yeah, I think I think evolution in all things is good. Mm-hmm. And revolution sometimes is even better, but evolution is good. Mm. Um, 
but I think there are there are rituals, right, that are important to us. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time not to open a you know not to get a physical paper delivered at home because I love that ritual, right, of reading the morning newspaper. Yeah. Uh, but we adapt and mm-hmm. we move on. Uh, but yeah, that was that was the lesson. It's a fabulous question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something too that you you kind of wrestle with as you keep going in your career, but. The key really is working hard, Mm. (laughs) always. You can be creative, you can have good ideas, but it takes a lot of work to execute things. Well, I think I would observe sometimes, and this can be an old man get off my lawn kind of comment, (laughs) uh, but I would observe that people should be responsible to and proud of learning their craft. Mm. Yeah. You know, know what you, make sure you know what you think you need to know and make sure that you have fidelity to that craft because you have responsibility to it. Yeah. Uh, and I always hope that that's, and I see that a lot around here, mm-hmm. uh, that people have a sense of responsibility to what they're doing and learning it well and doing it well and, and living into it, much like yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Katie, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Love working with you and um, appreciate the energy and confidence and care for our community that you bring. Well, I'm happy to be a part of this team, mm-hmm. and I appreciate you talking with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, Thomas, we're wrapping up Humans of the Food Bank 2022 um, with someone who's usually behind all the good stuff. It is funny to see Mr. Ev yes. on yes. the other side now. We get to hear a little bit about him. We do. We do. I often and he's wonder whether he's on the other side of the camera mm-hmm. or on the other side of the microphone because he's more comfortable there. We're about to find that out, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those things I do know, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important that we add him to Humans of the Food Bank. Ev does a tremendous amount of work and puts his heart and soul in his art and his storytelling um, and really doesn't put a time stamp on it. He's there for all of us. And Ev, I want you to share. There's some really great nuggets about you as as a person. So tell us about you. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, where to begin? Um, let's see. I am. I've always been a person very interested in creating. Um, I've always been like, you know, uh, just very interested. In all. I actually used to be very into writing. You mentioned Thomas that you're a, you're a big fan of words and not numbers. That is me. I'm allergic to numbers. I love words. Yeah. Um, but. Um, you know, I basically, I was actually born in Connecticut, moved to Florida when I was very young, have been here for about 25 years, um, went to school for creative writing and then got into journalism and that led into photography, which is mostly what I do now is photography, mm-hmm. video, stuff like that. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I was, I've always been kind of leaned towards like a, a bleeding heart kind of person because of my mother specifically. Um, and so I think that all of those things over the years kind of converged and combined and brought me to sort of where I am now. Um, but I think through it all, it's, it's been me kind of chasing creative passions. You know, so now are you comfortable more on the other side of the microphone or the, <laughs> or the camera? Well, some people that yeah. are creative, um, uh, I've been watching a couple of different um, interview shows with different artists who are talking about their craft. If you uh, follow David Letterman's interview series at all, and he's mm-hmm. you know talking to a wide variety of people about how they approach their craft and how they've wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you most comfortable? What you know? What suits your personality best? So 
I'm kind of an interesting mix. I'm like a, a, an extroverted introvert. I like to be alone. I like to not be the center of attention. I am capable of it. Um, some people have even said that I'm good at it. They're surprised that I'm an introvert, but I'm probably more comfortable behind the camera than I am being in front of it. Um, but I, it's funny because a lot of times, you know, being behind it's often you think about what you would do if you were in front of it. And so when I get that opportunity, I'm usually glad for it, but it's kind of rare. And, uh, and I don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> do you view yourself as a storyteller? I do. Yeah, um, I do. And I think that uh, that's been one of the interesting things over the years is learning all the different ways that that can be accomplished, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I it's funny. I had a friend group as when we were kids that we used to do a lot of really dumb stuff together. And whenever we would try to tell that funny story, I would be the one to tell it like they would kind of like lean on me to be like, well, Ev will tell it better than than I will. And so like, I, I think without realizing it from an early age, that was an interest of mine. <laughs> A natural storyteller. Right. Yeah, so so we couldn't help but pick up the comment about your mom. And, and so mm -hmm. as we think about folks and origin stories, how was she influential in your world? How did she become, inf I, as your mom, it's probably pretty sure. exactly, but But <laughs> why in particular was she influential to you? So my mom... Uh, so I guess uh, to start with, you know, she was a she was a kind of a single mother for a while. So we had a very close relationship from very, very early. Are on. you an and only child or do you have siblings? I was an only child for about 13 years. And okay. then I have I have two half sisters now. Um, you know, my, my stepfather came into our lives when I was pretty young, around around three years old. Um, but my mom, you know, and I were were very much a pair, you know, for okay. for a long time. And uh you know, we had a pretty difficult, like, early life, you know, single mom. She, she was very young. She, she was 16. So, like, there was a lot of difficulties early on. And it, uh, you know, caused her to experience a lot of hardship that she then didn't really wanted to help other people avoid, you know. Um, and so she was always my whole life a very, like, overly giving, caring, generous, concerned kind of person. Um, and I think I sort of just absorbed a lot of that, you know, just wanting to just being the person that offered help, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the situation was like, oh, what can I do? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's funny cause my, my stepdad would used to get on her about like always trying to save the world. And, you know, like sometimes it would blow up in her face and he'd be like, see, you can't, you just can't, you know, go and try to help every single person. And it really didn't deter her. You know, right. she was, well, like, and that's she not keeps, the part she keeps that you, trying. That's right. who she is. Right. That's the right. part that you honored was that she kept mm -hmm. trying. Right. Mm -hmm. right. 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 Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I know you came to us as an AmeriCorps Vista through mm -hmm. our good friend, Vanessa, who's already been brought up yeah. once today on mm -hmm. the, on the uh, series. Yeah. How did you end up being an AmeriCorps Vista? So it's really, you know, uh, I can't say enough about like Vanessa and her just contribution to all of our work here. Mm -hmm. um, she was really the thing that that brought me here. Um, you know, I was at the time, I actually knew Vanessa for maybe eight years before, um, you know, I found out about Feeding Tampa Bay. But she kind of circled back into my life while I was running a very small photo studio in Carrollwood. Um, it was just a freelance kind of thing. And she was like... Um, you know, would you be interested in, in, you know, coming and doing some intern work at this food bank that I'm at? And I had never heard of Feeding Tampa Bay, um, you know, and like, as she told me more and more about it, I kind of realized more and more how it aligned with things that I want to do with my life and, um, you know, and with my abilities, you know, my skill set. Um, and so, you know, it started out with her kind of pitching it to me as like a way to get out of freelancing because it can be very feast and famine. Um, but the more I learned about it, kind of the more exciting it became. Um, and so 
you know, I did the Vista internship and after that I was hooked. I mean, it was, uh, I very much wanted to work here and I knew that it wasn't a guarantee, but, um, you know, I was pretty much like in any capacity, I would be happy to, you know, assist with this mission. What hooked you? Mm -hmm. Uh, what, 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 uh, what said to you, this is where I need to be? You know, one of the things that uh, I talked with Vanessa a lot about early on was, uh, are you familiar with Humans of New York? Or, yep. uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, very. So That's how we have Humans of Feeding Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah. Ex exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. That um, I had followed that for a long time, and as a person interested in storytelling, those stories always interested me a lot because they were often about people's struggles, and, you know, it showed you the whole background behind, you know, what this person was dealing with. And I saw a lot of that in the work that Vanessa was doing and in the people that Feeding Tampa Bay was helping was that, um, you know, these were people who had complex histories and unique stories and things like that. And I knew that a, an important part of helping them was helping people understand them. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, I recognize that feeding Tampa, Bay, feeding Tampa Bay was the type of place where, you know, that could be done. That like, not only were we giving people food, but we were also, like we talked about in a, with other guests, recognizing them as, as humans and, and kind of attending to their full needs as a human being. One of the observations I have, now you've been here how long now? About, uh, well, if you count the internship, four years, I think. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was about that. So yeah. one of the observations that I have is that there's been a significant evolution in your thinking about your work and the way in which you approach it. I would say almost a maturity. Mm. Uh, early on, as you said, you were kind of executing Vanessa's strategy in many ways, which was a great strategy and, and wonderful vision. But how has it been and what what's this journey been like for you to start to say, I'm the storyteller? Because you, know, you and I know we've done this many times. Mm -hmm. We would say, we're going to talk about a topic. <laughs> I would stand up on microphone or camera. I would talk about the topic. I'd hand you the stuff back and leave. <laughs> right? And you were always gracious and saying, you know, great job, one take. You know, as you have matured in your role, mm -hmm. you will say, not quite sure you got that. Mm -hmm. Or can we go back at this a little bit? Mm -hmm. There's a maturity as you've come down that, that pathway. What's that yeah. been like for you, and how are you thinking about that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, I think, um, for any creative, really maybe any job, you know, you, you start out with kind of just like a rote execution. You just are trying to do the thing and, and get it done. But as you spend more time with it, and you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of honing your craft, I think as you spend more time with it, you start to see ways that you you want to improve it because you know how it can be more useful, you know, or it can be more effective. And I think that, you know, there's no better way to learn that than by doing it over and over and over. And, you know, throughout four years of doing storytelling work at Feeding Tampa Bay, um, I've just been able to connect more directly the moment of recording something with what it is that I want it to do, you know? And so, you know, it's just realizing that you have said the person has said one thing and I think that what they mean is this and I want to get that out of them, you know, um, because I think that you start to see more of the overall picture of what it is that uh, that this work is communications as I know that Shannon can speak to this too is like the story that we're telling has a very large arc to it and trying to kind of get people to see that requires a lot of like little work in the moment. And I, I think I've become better at that, um, knowing what the whole story is and trying to put those pieces together effectively. Would it be fair for you to say that you become more of a storyteller and less of a documentarian? 
Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. That, that's yeah. kind of been the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's funny now, you know, we, we have Hector, our new videographer, and I've sort of, I'm now sort of sitting in Vanessa's place, seeing him come into what my place was. And it's very funny to see, you know, him starting to mess with the ropes of storytelling because he's an excellent videographer. And then I can see that he's like, you know, starting to grasp the bigger picture of like, what does his videography mean? Because he said to me some one of the things, some of the thing, same things that I've said to Vanessa, which is like, well, I'm really just doing the recording. It's like, but no, actually, you know, like, no. it's actually a lot more than that, even though like Patrick said, it can make you feel distant from the work is like, how is me recording someone feeding anyone? And it's actually an, a hugely important part of it. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to bust in on this a little bit and mm -hmm. give you mad props. Thank you. you know, we COVID hit, things got really crazy for us. Mm -hmm. You know, people were able to stay home and we weren't. Mm -hmm. And from Ev looking at things from a storytelling combined with the journalist's lens, mm -hmm. we were able to capture the nation's attention because we were able to offer them our own B-roll, mm -hmm. our own sound bites, and all this experience and growth and confidence um, that he was getting into is part of the reason why that we had success. You know, we work together every day, and I think that was a turning point on what we gather and what we have mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we have in our arsenal to support our work and tell our stories. And um, it has been an incredible journey so far. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would just add one thing to the Ev's a Great Guy <laughs> campaign here. I, I would say that, um, and you mentioned this as part, an important part of your craft, I think understanding whether it's a guest, your neighbor that we're serving, or whether it's someone like me or you who are behind a microphone or in front of a camera, there's a gracefulness mm -hmm. and a thoughtfulness and an ease of presence that makes it much more comfortable as an experience. Mm -hmm. uh, to use the word performer about us is really inappropriate, but we'll use it just for this moment to say whenever you do this, there's a vulnerability to it, mm -hmm. right? Because you're sharing, as you now know, sitting over there. Yeah. <laughs> there's a vulnerability, and having someone on the other end of that moment that understands it's vulnerable is incredibly important because it's a, it's a moment of trust, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, for me, uh, I don't have enough ways to say thank you for that grace uh, for the work that I've done here. Yeah. Well, that oh, and seeing, um, you know, from an angle, from a lens, from a view, um, to still be telling a story, but still uplifting dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that being part of Feeding Tampa Bay, I think you were hired just when I came on from mm -hmm. Trinity. Um, it's something that, Feeding Tampa Bay has taught me, yeah. you know, and it's something that you see in your work and now you're training others to do it the same way. Yeah. Um, it's a gift. Thank you. Um, alongside <laughs> the talent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what's your question for Thomas? Oh, goodness. Right. Uh, so <laughs> you've done it to everybody yeah, else, friend. Yeah. I'm not here to ask me to ask him. Um, so I, I actually, I wrote it down because, uh, you know, I, it was hard to think of something, to be honest, you know, like, cause I, I feel like we get to talk very often yeah. and I, and I, um, I wanted to, you know, get into to kind of a deep thought. So, you know, uh, obviously we, um, we have talked a lot on the show about like ways that we want to move forward with mm -hmm. our mission and how, you know, how to expand it and how to, you know, not just be a band aid. And so my question is, you know, for you personally, what is it that you think might need to change about like, 
our country's social structures or our culture overall to kind of prevent the type of suffering that we deal with on a daily basis. Goodness gracious. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Letterman. Let's get into the whole... You started it with democracy, and now yeah, we're like, I know. what are we going to do about it? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's such a thoughtful and significant question that it's hard to piece it together. But I think, first thing I think that needs to change, and I hope that we are on the front end of this change, which is to recognize that every human being is worthy of care, consideration, grace, and support that all three of us here and every other colleague that has sat down at this table uh, today, as well as every guest we've ever served, is an opportunity for us to treat another human being well uh, and have a responsibility. You know, Jack mentioned why did he uh, take the path he took because he felt like he had no other choice. I think first and foremost as a society, we need to understand that every human being has needed help And if you've ever needed help, you also have a responsibility to help. You don't get one without the other. I would say that's number one. Number two, to the more specific parts of your conversation, question that you're asking, I think that we have to understand that prevention is far cheaper and far far less expensive than intervention, which is more expensive and less effective. Why do I say that? Because I think the more that we invest in humans, the more that's likely to pay off. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to understand that. And, and so those are probably two external observations of our society as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, just lose some of your doggone selfishness. Yeah. Uh, the last part that I would observe about our industry, Ev, and I would think about this as feeding Tampa Bay in some ways, too. We have been incredibly noble in the work we've done for 40 years now. We've put a lot of meals on tables. I think the last I saw our update out there, we're closing in on 750 million meals provided in 40 years. That's staggering. Man, yeah. Right? But there's more people hungry today than there were when we started. Now, some of that's population growth, but some of it is significant shifts in the capability of the lives of our neighbors and friends. And I think we need to ultimately rethink what we're doing and how we're approaching it as an organization. You could make an argument to say all we have done is keep people dependent upon social services. That's a harsh view, but there's some truth in it. Again, when you combine it with the responsibility to make sure we're there in the moment, it's not so harsh. But I think all of us have an obligation to figure out in the work that we do How, as Matt Spence says, we create exit velocity. Mm. How do we make sure that another human being's story, the narrative of their life, the arc of their story, ends in an upward trajectory? Mm. Uh, That that they come through our world in a day, in a moment, in a time that they need us, Mm. but that we're ultimately uh, a catalyst uh, for their lives uh, propelling forward. Uh, And I think we have to have that more at the heart of what we're doing uh, and work towards that greater truth. Yeah. Even as, you know, as as an insider, I guess I've seen that happening. And it's also been just to, you know, give some more love to the podcast. It's been really insightful, I think, to see how that is changing by having conversations with people like Katie Fitzgerald and hearing more from you, Thomas. And I hope that it has been as informative for other people as, as it has for me about like, you know, it's always been more than food, but seeing where it's going is 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 pretty inspiring, and and I think uh, helps with 
some of the hopefulness around like the ability to end hunger, the ability to actually make a the reality. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, the word hope gets moved around a lot. It's mm-hmm. not a word I like very much mm-hmm. uh, for a bunch of different reasons. It's not a bad word, mm-hmm. but the word that I've always uh, cottoned to is faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, that you just have to have faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, faith is to me the word that we come back to over and over again that has weight, meaning, substance, it's foundational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have to have faith that we can do this, and I think we have to have faith in the responsibility uh, that we have to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, another Humans of the Food Bank. Indeed. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. This is the best part of my day, week, and month. I'm sure of that. (laughs) Well, for 40 years, Feeding Tampa Bay is here. Mm -hmm. Thomas, you know, I'm not, I know we all believe the magnificent work and leadership, um, friendship, Mm -hmm. comfort, trust that you bring to everyone on your team. Thank you for that. Um, And, We've got an amazing group of people, and we're just so glad that through this podcast that we're able to share that to help you understand that's how our work moves forward. Wonderful leadership and committed people on the team. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and we're going to roll, keep rolling stuff out for you. We would love to hear your feedback. That's right. Here we come. (laughs) Yes, some exciting stuff in 2023. So be sure you stay tuned Mm -hmm. as we stick a fork in it. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok at Feeding Tampa Bay. <laughs>